Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love and Life. I am not Dr. Karen. My name is Tim, and I'm actually Dr. Karen's producer, taking over the intro for her this week. Dr. Karen is currently out of town, but we wanted to continue our series on woundedness and the impact it can have on our relationships by sharing the very first episode we did on this topic. Is your father wound impacting your relationship? With love and life favorite, psychotherapist, pastor, and Dr. Karen's brother, Elliot Anderson. We have some very exciting news that we'll be announcing soon regarding Elliot and his role at Love and Life. But in the meantime, whether you've heard this episode before or this is your first time, we hope it'll provide insights and perspectives that will equip you to take charge of your thoughts, your life, and your relationships. This Best of Love and Life episode featuring Pastor Elliot Anderson is coming up right after this. One of your favorite episodes was the one I did with my brother, who's a marital therapist and couples counselor. He specializes in understanding family dynamics, young people, love, relationships. You guys loved our conversation about unconscious beliefs that might be affecting your relationships and your approach to dating. Elliot has joined me again to talk about his new book about our father, and it's called Simon Says... Principles and Perspectives from Dr. Simon V. Anderson. I mentioned it in my last newsletter, so some of you guys are already aware that my brother wrote a book. It encompasses my dad's philosophy for living, which you as Love and Life listeners actually know a lot about. The whole take charge of your thoughts, that's from my dad. He used to scream at us, encouragingly, from the stands when we were playing athletics, take charge. Elliot got that a lot as the point guard for his basketball teams. Also, make it happen. When I say make it a great week, that's my dad. He believed in eternal optimism He loved supporting and encouraging those who hadn't had all the advantages in life. And as a father to us, he was absolutely a father to many, many more people in Cincinnati where we grew up, his students, his choir members, his friends. It was amazing, really, what he accomplished. And I know I'm biased because he's my daddy, but (laughs) Elliot feels the same, obviously, because he wrote a book. Our father passed away five years ago, actually, just the last week. And so it's kind of a, a timely moment to underscore his influence on us as his kids and what we do with our communities that we seek to serve and to encourage and to empower. So that's just a brief little intro. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you, Karen. I've been, uh, your brother now for half a century, <laughs> and I've actually been your uh, fan for about 35 years. <laughs> I waited till you're about 15, so I really I was enjoyed say, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm crunching the numbers and going, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know you were really mean to me for a very long exactly. time. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to be honest with my intro. Yes, indeed. So let's talk about, initially, what prompted you to write this book? Obviously, I've just been singing our father's praises a bit. But any author who undertakes the endeavor of writing a book, it's a very lengthy and arduous process. What made you think, you know, dad's philosophy for living really needs to have a a little bit more exposure? I think the project probably started 20 years ago. I think I should ask you because you're the memory (laughs) bank of the family. I think it was for his 70th birthday when we put together the list of dad's sayings Mm -hmm. and we presented as a present and it had many more. 
And then when I'd come home to Cincinnati with my family and uh, I'd often read them again and think about their meaning, I'm like, wow, these were powerful. And sometimes some of those had some memories in them that weren't always exciting because they were very strong challenges and convictions from a father that had some intensity and would get uh, worked up at his ADHD crazy son. But uh, overall, just seeing the power of those words and what they meant to us as a family and how we laughed about them and shared them. And that was probably the start of the project. And then, of course, I, I developed a, a love of writing. And when I was going through the infertility process, writing really helped me grieve. So dad dies. And I'm starting to write a little bit about what he meant to me and some of the sayings. And I thought, man, there's some good meat here. And then the response from all his former students and choir members and our friends to his death, unsolicited commentary of his fathering. That was kind of the undergirding of what I saw in their responses, even guys that were of similar age. And as a psychologist, the whole thing fascinated me. Dad did not have a good father. And yet he fathered so well. And, and so as I'm writing and grieving and, you know, I was sending ideas to you and mom and Warren and, and about the process. And we were originally going to do the book all together, but I had a little bit more time, ironically, because I got sick. I had a little more time to write and get it moving. And as a pastor and as a spiritual man, it felt anointed. The project felt anointed. And that means for those who don't know in our listening group here that the Holy Spirit was infusing me with power. And clarity, and for an ADHD, that's very important <laughs> in the process of writing. And sometimes I'd write entire chapters in one sitting, like an hour, and send them to Warren, of course, the grand poobah of all editing. And sometimes he didn't edit much at all. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> God's got something in store for this way beyond just helping us as a family grieve and get excited. And then I started sending chapters to my friends, and they're like, oh man, this is amazing. You got to get this out. And so it just got encouraged and slowly moved forward. And I don't know if it has had anything to do with the five year mark of dad's death. I just wanted to get it finished, wanted to get it out there. Mm -hmm. But getting back to fatherhood and how yes. it relates to relationships. In Simon Says, you speak to the massive impact that dad had on all of us as children. And it occurred to me as I was reading, you know, some people don't have that presence in their lives or they have a massively negative impact from an unhealthy father or an absent father or an abusive father. So how do you see this affecting the couple's relationships, those couples that you work with? Yeah, the father wound and the mother wound are primal wounds. So they're wounds that are never going to leave. And so if we have an absent father or a neglectful father or an abusive father, those things aren't going to be magically gone when we find a great partner. Right. And, and so I'm going to focus on the father wound today, but I want to make sure people understand the mother wound is just as significant. The father wound is just more common. So the, the father wound in particular, how I see it manifested the most in couples it's twofold. One, if there's been that absent or negative or abusive father, the woman tends to want her partner to be that. Fill that father wound as well as be a great partner. So love me as a romantic partner would, but also love me as a father would. And, dual and, role. Absolutely. And certainly we all have some transference, do a little dual role with each other anyway. Yeah. But when you're expecting that, you're constantly going to feel rejected. You're going to repeat the father wound over and over again because you're partner can't possibly fulfill the father love you need. And, and so I, I see that in counseling all the time. I see that with young couples. Um, and sometimes, you know, both have a father wound and that makes it even more difficult. Right. But I'm going to use the example of, of one couple where the woman has a father who was very, very negative, abusive, drugs, jail, the whole nine yards. And the boyfriend, fiance, has a wonderful father and a legacy of great fathers. 
And so there's no doubt systemically part of the attraction was his kind of natural fathering personality and spirit, sure. just like we have because our dad and mom broke the legacy from their families. So we naturally are parental. We've spent years working as a couple, getting calm. I'm going to marry him this May, which is super exciting. <laughs> spent years working with this couple for her to understand that wound, what it means, how to grieve it, how to, how to work through that, recognizing it's probably always going to have touches and pieces. And then how, sorry, Jerry Maguire, how to help her stop wanting her fiance to complete her. Yes. It's a great movie scene, but I hate it as a therapist. Ugh. It's not true. It's not right. It's not healthy. Compliment her. <laughs> Don't complete her. Yes. It's a much different scenario. And so we've worked on that and she's worked so well. Um, she's done a great job. And then specifically, and I, I was quasi intentional of this and I recognize for my listeners my counseling as a pastor and a therapist, non-licensed, allows me a much more leeway and freedom in these relationships. But I talk to couples, especially after I've been with them a long time, I'm going to be a spiritual father for you during this process and help you heal. I find it better just to say it. And I'm being very careful what that looks like, and we walk through it. I almost always say it with the fiancé right there with me. So he recognizes. Most times he's like, thank you, Lord. I need a little space from this <laughs> issue right now. And so, you know, I'll, right. turn, I'll turn to her in the session sometimes. Okay, this is me as a spiritual father talking. As a, a pastor and a therapist who's 25, 30 years older than you, this is me telling you, don't get going on me. I'm going to get myself worked up. <laughs> uh, just for the listener, I'm getting a little emotional because <laughs> this is really touching me deeply. And then yeah. I, I just mouthed to Elliot, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> which clearly didn't work. So we'll just take a moment here. I, I just think I just, I was welling up with emotion because I think of those, again, women in my community don't have that. Yeah. And so I was turning them and says, you are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are loved. I'll read them Psalm 139, 14, these other Psalms and kind of give them a spiritual blessing over them. And even though I don't get super directive always in that, there, there's moments when that really helps separate. Yeah. And she feels it different. I'm like, your fiance can't give that to you. He's not 53 years old. He's not, <laughs> he's not a right. father of four people. Right. You know, and, and we walk through that scenario. And so that's one example. I'm going to give you another yeah, one right away, and then I'll let great. you no, no, interject ahead. from there. The second thing I see from women with a father wound is they dismiss their partner and the opportunity to receive any father love. So they say, well, all men will neglect and abuse. And so I will be comfortable in this passivity he's showing. I'll stifle him and push him down. I won't let him give me any kind of love that could possibly heal any of those wounds. And I'll just kind of go in a separate trajectory of we're roommates mm -hmm. and I love him and we'll have sex together, but I'm not going to allow any healing, any transference to move in there and, and direct. And I'll take that father wound and I'll just keep it as my identity and push him away from even any possibility of even husband love or partner love. And so that that's actually a much more difficult place to be because often those males then, and this is another whole podcast sometime, uh, the males then will stay in passivity. They'll be too afraid to rise up and even be a complimentary partner, let alone lead. And those are much more difficult to, to walk through because she has now taken that absence or that neglect or that pain from her father and projected on all men. So she's almost just looking for someone to emphasize that belief or to reinforce, reinforce right? that belief. Yeah. Exactly. And that gets really difficult. Okay. So are you saying to the point that she projects this on all men? So then my first thought is then, I'm surprised she can even get into a relationship with a man. She still has the desire to be in a relationship with a man, but simultaneously is sabotaging that relationship by 
assuming and interpreting everything he does through the lens of you are going to hurt me and you will abuse me. So again, we talk about this when we talk about unconscious beliefs and we talk about this in life in general. And I was talking about this on my podcast recently, talking about hope. If we see the world through a lens of this is what I can expect, we are not in fact seeing what is there. That's right. We are confirming our bias. We talk about the confirmation bias and social psych. We are confirming my bias and I can't see the world any other way because if I do, I'll believe that I'm crazy, right? I have to confirm that belief. So what happens when she gets in the relationship with this man and it works honeymoon, I'm sure it's fine for a while. And then you're saying that she is going to, not only is she going to misinterpret pretty much everything that he does, she probably will then elicit some behaviors from him that he probably wouldn't even have done except that the context now the dynamic is such that she's pulling from him some negativity that he's like i don't this isn't even a part of me now i'm not trying to blame her victim blaming but what i also want to say and my listeners know this i want us to own every bit of our experience that is in our control because that is the only thing we can control i've had exasperated husbands say she wants me to reject her she wants me to hurt her she wants me to not spend any time with her and he's completely confused Emotionally hurt her here. Yes. We're not trying to say that yeah, she's, not, not she's, she's asking for it. Right. No, nothing like no, that. No, no. But, yeah. but an emotional separation. She'll shut her door and tell me I can't come in, you know, for three hours or things like that. Just there's so much more complicated than that example, but it's just one, one piece of it. Right. And, and the underlying one of, one of the roots of all of this on both sides of that equation of the absent father for the woman is needing to forgive. And, and often the lack of forgiving their father will send them into the desire to either be completed by their husband or to repeat and reinforce the patterns that all men then are trash. That's the route we normally have to get to is a lack of forgiveness. And really it's the forgiveness of the father wound, not the husband wound. Mm -hmm. There might be new husband wounds now that have been created. Mm -hmm. And he probably rightly did some of those on his own Mm -hmm. too, not just systemically, but Mm -hmm. because, you know, most men who are attracted to a woman who won't give them that already have their own wounds they're dealing with. and, And then we're, Right. We're off and running. <laughs> As I used to say when I was a little more cynical during my brokenhearted years, that <laughs> love is essentially just the melding of two pathologies. <laughs> yeah, a lot of truth to that. Right? And again, so we're not trying to take anyone off the hook. Again, just to underscore, this is about us trying to understand what we are bringing to a relationship because what we are bringing, the energy, the confirmation bias, the dynamics that we are fueling and fanning that flame, that is the part that we can control and change. And I love... Both what you're saying here, I love the idea of you being the spiritual father. And for that, that's a really kind of cool, you know, people, if they haven't been in therapy or they haven't explored it or haven't taken any classes in it, they oftentimes think it's just a bunch of advice giving, do this, do that. But that is one of those more experiential elements of of therapy where for this portion of time every week, I'm going to try to do my best to be that father figure you never had. We're going to experientially feel that what does it feel like to be doted on and 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 adored as a father in that appropriate healthy loving manner that's almost a magical kind of you talk about the transformational piece of therapy that really can't be replicated people go if i have enough friends i don't need a therapist no no there's there's something special if people are willing to use that time to really identify those wounds I, i don't know with those second girls that are the ones that are projecting if they, of course, you probably try something like that, but they are going to be real quick in real time in that session when you try to give them some of that love and that tenderness and that support 
and the adoration that a daughter needs from a father to feel that I'm just the apple of his eye. When you try to do that, they probably reject you in real time in that session. It takes about a year for them to trust me because they'll push me away in the same way or... I took what your advice was last week and I didn't fail miserably. I'm like, I didn't give any advice last week. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're referring to. <laughs> Once right? again, projecting that, what they're expecting from. Yeah. Or this. taking any words I'm saying in a casual manner as law mm-hmm. and then trying to implement them to try to test that. Does he really care? Would this really work? Yeah. And, but it's good when they come and get angry, then we can work through that and talk about it. And I can say, Hey, I, that wasn't advice at all. I, there was nothing required, no homework mm-hmm. given. And so it's a good dance. And you know, that's part of my chaotic nature. I like the dance. Yeah. I like the chaotic movements because that's where transformation can take place but it, it is messy and it's difficult and yeah and some of the ladies give up yeah and that's really hard and th- then i agree because yeah. then they they walk away they just can't do it i remember in therapy school one of the adages we were taught was you can't work harder than the client so you can be there and you can pr- provide the context and the healing and you you're praying over this and all the things but if that client isn't ready if she doesn't have ears to hear yet if she just isn't there and maybe it's just not time yet. She's not ready. Uh, you know, we talked about also in therapy school, talked about this insight as therapists. And we see maybe with some clarity because we're outside of it. Maybe we see what a client needs, but they have this defense mechanism. Maybe, you know, I won't forgive my dad's. It's, it's something that's I'm clinging to, like a crutch. Yeah. And I remember being cautioned at Wheaton. They said, you know, don't with your brilliant insight, try to remove a client's crutch if they're not ready because you're you're not going to be there 24 hours a day to support them. Now they're walking around with a massive limp and you, you think you're so brilliant. Oh, I saw the insight and I challenged them or confronted them on that. So we have to be real careful. When, when I do identify and I say me, but it's really all of us. When we recognize a father or mother wound, Mm. then I am going to tell them upfront pretty quickly. This is going to take a lot of time. We've mm-hmm. identified something that's really important that's impacting everything that's going on here in this conflict. We have to recognize it's going to take a year or more. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes takes down the pressure a lot. Yeah. The husbands look at me like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but the, yeah. it does take the pressure off. I see the women. Oh my, it's going to take that long. Yeah. And you're going to be fine. Let's work through this. It's going to mm-hmm. have some ups and downs. Some days you're going to leave cry the whole time. Sometimes you're going to leave feel a little bit of joy. You know, I just mm-hmm. try to help them anticipate the moodiness of healing. Mm-hmm. Healing is messy. Healing is messy. Healing takes time. But God wired you to be good with that because again, as we spoke to earlier in this episode, you had a bit of chaos to your personality and, and to what you brought to our family of origin. Yes. And so when those really heightened emotions and very highly charged moments happen, or maybe I shouldn't say moments, I mean, 25, 30 an hour in mm-hmm. a session, and I, you probably go over sometimes, probably a lot. Yeah. That doesn't, you don't shy away from that. I'm, Whereas, at, my, I'm at my best. You're like, okay. The more intense, the more clearly I see. Yeah. See, and that's, that's, if beautiful. mom just could have understood that as a child, just let me be a little more wild. <laughs> I'd have been at my best. It was mom's fault. Yeah. That's of right. course. That's right. <laughs> Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson April and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. And let me speak into a little bit of that recognition now. So some of your listeners may recognize, oh man, I think I have a father wound. It's impacting my dating or marriage relationship. What do I do? Well, if you don't have a pastoral counselor near you or someone who owns that and and uses that as a gift, then seek one out. That would be another part of dad's ethos is 
make it happen, find what you need to be healthy and whole, and pursue it. So it might be your church community, it might be a former professor, it might be a pastor, it might just be an older couple that you know, and you're like, I really like the way that husband treats his wife. Mm -hmm. I don't know their whole story, but maybe you and I, honey, should ask them for lunch Mm -hmm. and just admit to them, we're struggling a little bit here. We've identified there could be a father wound. Would you guys be willing to have lunch with us once a month to just kind of coach us a little bit what you've been through? And Mm -hmm. most of the time that'll really honor a couple, even if they say no or they don't feel capable. But pursue it. Find some type of father figure, father spirit. We, of course, would say first submit your life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ and get the ultimate father love. But in that context of a church or mm-hmm. community or school or friendship group, mm-hmm. there's a need for that. It's, gonna, it's not going to magically disappear. I think it's healthier and better to find some type of human father figure to give you some of that love and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that I think we struggle with because we do see that our culture doesn't always support these intergenerational connections. We're very stratified by our age. And some of that's just by virtue of you're in school. So you're with your peers or you're in a new job and you're with your 20 somethings. But it's really important that if we haven't had that, that we can seek that out. What about for our single ladies who go, I'm on the dating scene and I'm identifying there must be a wound because I keep dating jerk after jerk after jerk. This guy is no good to me. This guy treats me poorly and I keep trying to make it work. And maybe they're saying, I somehow think that I can get this bad guy to be a good guy. Some of that that's going on with some of my listeners. Yeah. And and it becomes almost a counterintuitive process. Because you're drawn to a certain energy, a certain style that's not healthy for you. So when you identify that piece, that's hugely important. If you've identified it, you're listening to Dr. Karen and and you're recognizing through her teachings and writings that you have some issues in your selection process. Right. Really some accountability with a great friend or Dr. Karen or someone else like that, that can help you recognize your need to look outside of your norm. And that is really difficult. That's where online dating, again, can be a very effective tool to be able to select a little more appropriately based on, I'm going to read these profiles really carefully, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have two of my sisters also read them very carefully. If you're a spiritual woman, I'm going to pray over these very carefully, and I'm going to intentionally try to look outside of my norm. I'm working with a young lady who's doing that right now, and it's been very difficult. She's found a man now that is counterintuitive, and she's bored. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And so she's walking through that. We're struggling through that together, and she's fighting through, just recognizing that the men she had chosen weren't healthy, weren't kind to her, weren't cherishing her, weren't affirming her. She was always trying to pull them into health, pull them into manhood. She recognized, I'm done with that. Now I've found someone who pursued me mm-hmm. and has got his act together and I'm a little bit restless. And mm-hmm. so we're walking through that rather than just rejecting him. Right. She's owning it, which is wonderful. Yeah. And she's saying, okay, Elliot, how do we get through this? And right. so we're talking through it and we're going to bring him in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a man who can handle it. He's got his act together. We're going to bring him in and start talking through it so he can understand why he might be sensing some indifference or some dissonance when he's doing everything right. Well, you know, I had Dr. Darwina Welch on the program talking about attachment styles, and that's kind of a touchstone for a lot of people right now in my space. So a woman like that maybe was thriving with these avoidant guys, and she was maybe experiencing an anxious attachment. Now she's with someone secure. There's no drama. (laughs) There's no guessing games. And it feels flat. That's one of the questions I get the most because then me, I'm saying, don't settle. You want the total package. You want that intense and romantic attraction and that chemistry. And people, rightly so, go, how do I know if I'm with a really good guy, 
who's just not my guy and this in a sense is settling or I'm with a really good guy and I just haven't healed enough to find him attractive because of my own pathologies. Are you in our sessions? Are you sitting in there? Sounds like last week's session. <laughs> really? Because I mean, that's, that's, that's what exactly, I hear all the time from exactly my community. Exactly where she is. And she's yeah. doing great. Just, I got to wrestle through this. Yeah. I have to wrestle through this because he does check all the boxes. Now she recognizes the internal need. Mm-hmm. Is this package, the package is right. Is the attractional base and the affectionate base, sexual energy base, is all that there also? Or is it not there simply because I'm still wrestling with my wound, my need, and how I keep growing and keep being healthy? It's going to, I can't answer it for either. Yeah. It's going to take some time. Yeah, you really can't. But and it's still a major step forward. Yeah. For sure. And I want, yeah, and I wonder sometimes if it's just going to take her own intrapersonal, like her personal growth and development to sit with what it feels like to not need that energy so that she doesn't, again, like we talked about earlier, doesn't see this current relationship as less than exciting because it's, it's her own healing to go, wait, what I thought was exciting was actually very dishonoring to my soul and my spirit. It was, I was attracted to someone that made me feel less than and belittled. So I got to sit with me being able to receive a truly honoring, legitimate love. But that just might not happen in... First time. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of belief work again. Yes. Are you worth this kind of positivity? Are you worth this kind of care? You know, ironically, she's like, he's taking me all these really nice restaurants. You're like, yes. I'm like, enjoy it. You were usually paying for the guys before right. and going to Mickey D's. So <laughs> now you're, this man's got a job. He's got a house. He's, you know, he's ready to right. go. And he sees something. He's like, this woman is fine and she is strong. And, you know, and so mm-hmm. he's like, he's all in. Mm-hmm. And so she's not rejecting him. She's not denying. She's just wrestling through that process. We're going back to belief work we had done three years ago. We're going right back to, okay, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe mm-hmm. about who you are in God and who you are in her and him? And it's, it's been good. It's just not going to be easy. And it just speaks to, again, like we've, we've been touching on throughout the episode, it really speaks to her having to heal that father wound through different sources. Because my heart would be, your heart would be that for anyone who didn't have that father, who had the absent father or the abusive father or the negligent father, we would love to be able to go back in time and make it better, but we can't. So what do we do from here moving forward? We have to be active. You know, again, you talked about dads make it happen. We we have to be intentional. We have to be proactive. And that's why I like a model that looks at our dynamics instead of pathologizing them and saying, you have this diagnosis. That seems too fixed, right? So you have this anxious attachment. I even resist that, even though it's a term that people like to talk about a lot, but I don't like to label myself. If I'm anxiously attached, that means it's forever. It's fixed. It's immutable. I want to talk about what intentional actions can I take today so that in six months, I may not be fully healed because that's also never going to happen. We're human. We're flawed. We will never heal all our wounds, but I can be a lot further along in my journey, in my growth and development that then will help me attract to me people who are healthy for me and good for me and good to me. That's one of my mantras, not only with her, but others in this same kind of circumstance. Enjoy the present. Yeah, that's hard though. Enjoy the process (laughs) of being courted appropriately. Mm. He hasn't made a move yet. He's just like respecting her hundred percent and just saying, let me get to know you. Let me treat you like a queen. And she's like, what's wrong with this guy? Right. And she, but she knows it. She's seeing it. So I'm yeah. super proud of her. She's walking through. And so we're talking about enjoy the now. Let the end game take care of itself. Yeah. Because in her head, she's fearful. Like, oh my gosh, if he asked me to marry him next week, I got to say yes. You know, she's, she's getting way ahead of herself when she was willing to commit to guys that weren't worthy. 
and make it work in a good sense, make it work, but make it work in a way that was unhealthy and dysfunctional. And that's something that's really such an important word for anyone on the dating scene. And I get so many questions all the time. We've been on three dates and then they're three years ahead and they're trying to figure it out. And I know this and this and this, and they want to know 700 other things that only time can tell us. We have to sit in that moment. We have to gather information. We do not need to make decisions three years ahead right now. That is part of dating. Dating is gathering information. Dating is trying to figure out if we are a fix. It's not what your client used to do. Oh, I feel this intense attraction to this guy. He's super rough around the edges, super like four out of 10 as far as character and integrity, but I will make it happen. Now, this is where the make it happen mantra goes in the wrong direction. I will be the one. I will. He's my fixer upper. I'll make him appropriate. Then that, of course, that feeds into her psychology uh, and her, this is probably an unconscious belief, but if I can make him the man that I want him to be, then that also fosters some dependency. Whereas this secure guy she's currently with, he doesn't need her. No, because she's used to being always the strongest, always the smartest, always the most put together. And now she's got an equal right? and does, doesn't know what to do with the dance yet. So I'm just saying, stay on the floor. Keep dancing. Right, right. Let it work itself out. Only fear what's here. You know, one of my favorite mantras for people struggling with anxiety. Only fear what's here right now. Mm-hmm. And the fear is which restaurant you're going to choose. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's treating you awesome and he's taking care of you and, and being wise and respectful. And, and there's no commitment necessary here. No ring on your finger. Just enjoy that present energy mm-hmm. of being treated well. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the process of courting rather than trying to figure out where can I bring the chaos and drama in so then I feel secure and feel strong again. And more often than not, not just with this young lady I'm talking about, but with many others I've worked with, the guys that she's trying to rise up into mm-hmm. manhood, mm-hmm. they end up rejecting her mm-hmm. rather than her rejecting him because mm-hmm. they're not ready and they don't want that anyway. <laughs> and they don't like feeling dependent no, on so her. so they cheat on her. Right. So they go find something else because they're like, I want something easy and relaxed and this is way too much pressure, you know, and it, it's so backwards, but I see it all the time. Right. Or even if the fixer upper gets fixed up, now the dynamic that completely solidified the relationship, it's done. (laughs) It's like, she's like, he's like, well, thanks. That's great. And a lot of women complain that they're like, I was with him. This woman, the the way way you should have been loved. It happens all the time. It's all the time. Women are so, they're like, I did all that work. And now he is a great guy for someone else. And Yeah. yeah. But again, for those of us, I'm talking about myself now, as my community knows, who were in the dating trenches for a long time. You're going to hit some of those. And everyone's journey is different. And trying to enjoy it and appreciate it is, I think, uh, a tension that we all experience. But it's such a good word of encouragement and a good reminder. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals and we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. So what other elements, getting back to the book, of Dad's philosophy do you believe can support listeners as they navigate their dating and relationships, marriage and love? 
Yeah, I think it's both mom and dad's philosophy. So I'm going to give mom credit here as well. They just did it in very different ways. It's your your temperament, your deficiencies, your weaknesses, your pathology even at times Mm -hmm. doesn't have to own you, doesn't have to define you and doesn't have to lead you. I speak to that in the book about honoring who you are, Mm -hmm. honoring your rhythms, finding out what rhythms make you successful and healthy and happy. And you have to be that and be that within your relationship. So if you are denying your rhythms and your natural will for your partner, you got to stop now. Because once that gets into marriage or five or 10 years later, then your your desire to be you is going to come out and it's going to blow away your partner. He's like, whoa, where was this? Mm-hmm. So I remember when I started dating Angie and I was fresh out of kind of some depressing self-condemnation, rebirth, recommitment to Christ. And I was super quiet. When does that happen in my life? Never, except for maybe that era. Super quiet, borderline depressed, really contemplative, non-social, going to class, going back to my room, reading the Bible, reading devotional books, self-help books, trying to figure myself out, going to practice, coming home. And then I'd see her and I wasn't doing my normal thing. And so I remember as we started the day a little bit, I felt this compulsion to let her know. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Because otherwise that's called a bait and switch. <laughs> and I would tell her, hey, I am really a little bit crazy. <laughs> she's like, what? I'm like, no, I am really, really spazzy. And she'd be like, I, I thought that was Todd. I'm like, well, I'm a little beyond Todd. <laughs> so you need to know that up front that, you know, this is not totally the real me. So I felt needing to say that. And then, of course, when I brought her home to Cincinnati and mom and dad are like, wow, she's awesome. Don't blow it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then they would tell them stories, you know, like, you know, Ellie's really struggled with this. She had no idea I was a bad student. She had no idea it had all the issues behaviorally. She just saw what I could be. And so I tell couples all the time then, if you're not being fully you, now's the time to start talking about it Yeah. and honor your rhythm. So yes, I have a lot of random, chaotic spontaneity as well. I still am a finisher. I'll get from A to Z, but there's going to be 16 numbers mm-hmm. and 45 different letters in between there where Angie, like mom, A plus B equals C equals D equals E mm-hmm. all the way straight through. So I saw dad honor his rhythm, but respect mom's rhythm. Mm-hmm. And as I say in the book, if too much chaos is happening, we go to mom's rhythm. <laughs> yeah. Same in my family. Too much is going on. We go to Angie's rhythm. We don't go to Elliot's rhythm. Mm-hmm. But I got to be me. She's got to be her. And, and you and Dan do that well. Also, the, the dance of that authenticity of self mm-hmm. and what gives you the best possibility and credibility. And there's a word I'm missing uh, movement to be you. That's so important when it comes to overcoming. So if I tried to overcome or use my ADHD as a gift rather than a curse, I can't do that by saying I'm going to be structured and linear and anal. Yeah, yeah. Even if I'm able to do it for a moment, it's going to feel awful. Yeah. And then I'm going to start becoming discouraged, especially if I get all kinds of praise and affirmation for that. And people are like, oh, Elliot finally came around. Do it this way from now on. Well, it's not going to happen. I can't. Right. And, and so the same thing's true with dating relationship. If my wife-to-be, if Andy would have said, hey, when we're going out to eat, could you just make sure you don't wiggle? Like ever. <laughs> right. So I understand at times she's like, hey, I just need to be calm for a minute. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. had 30 of those at school today. I can't take it. Right. I can do that. I can do it for a meal. But if she says, please don't ever wiggle again. I'm like, uh, help is <laughs> not going to happen. Right. So it, that's a simple little fun example, but it gets way more significant than that, obviously. Well, I think you spoke to it even last time we talked. Another example would be if Angie was like, please don't be extroverted. Please don't be social. Please don't get many of your needs met through your social connections. Because she's more of an introvert. So right. if she was demanding of that, demanding that of you rather, in order to have peace in your home, 
it wouldn't be honoring who God wired you up to be. It wouldn't be honoring your personality. Yeah, some containment, some closure on certain environments, certain opportunities, certain situations. By all means, she has the right as a wife. But to universally say, don't be you anymore, right. it'll, ne- it'll never work. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. Elliot, any parting words? I'm thinking again of our women who did not have a strong father. Any kind of encouragement, advice based on you as a therapist, father yourself, like you said, spiritual father for many, and one who did have a strong and loving and uh, father who expected a lot too. So any words for my, my community who may be struggling with that wound? Yeah, I think first recognize the wound, especially if there's pattern. So if you've had similar scenarios come up in three or four relationships and you're recognizing your ownership of your part of that, not blaming you certainly for everything that happened in those relationships if they failed or were miserable, but taking some ownership in your side of it. And if you recognize, I think there might be a father wound here. So first is the recognition. And then, as I said, second, actually trying to seek out some specific therapy about that rather than just going in and say to a therapist, I want to talk about my boyfriend issues. Tell the therapist because they can only do what they receive or you give them. Tell them, I think I need to talk about a father wound. Can we kind of talk about my father and how that's influencing now my relationships? And then the third thing would be to seek out some father figures even outside of the therapist. So, yes, I would say, by the way, speaking of transference for number two, look for an older male therapist. And just be upfront about it that you can even tell the guy, hey, I'm looking for some fathering within our therapy in a healthy, appropriate manner. But I just wanted to let you know about that transference or that likeliness of that relationship. And then find some in your community. I'm certainly willing to help in some capacity there. Because as great of a therapist as you are, you're not going to be able to give that father peace. Nope. Yeah. And you can change the legacy. You can change that. Believe in yourself that you can get at least enough healing to choose more appropriately, to relate more appropriately to separate that requirement or expectation from your partner so you're not constantly disappointed, constantly feeling rejected again, which leads back to that primal post-traumatic response. And it just, it cycles on you. I love all that. I've, I've heard it put this way. You know, we have two families. We have the family that we're born into, our family of origin, and we can't control. We're vulnerable. We're children. Whatever it is, it is. And then we do our work. And that's what we're talking about right now so that the next family we create And for some of my community, like me, that might be later than we expected. You know, you might be 42 when you get married and then have a family that you didn't totally create because you got stepkids. But that next family is the one that we have the power to make that change. Thank you so much for these empowering words of transformational change, faith, hope, belief, unwavering optimism. It's so our dad. And it's so what I'm also hoping to share with my community. So thanks again, Elliot. Can I have one more comment? Yes. Also recognizing how 
Simon submitted himself to Jesus, but did it in his way. Very private, Mm -hmm. very personal, and very closed in. Mm -hmm. He had a simple faith. And I recognize that at some capacity, in order to get the healing he needed from his father wounds, he had to release some of those onto the father. It was fascinating to me that this brilliant musician, his favorite hymn was Jesus Loves Me. Mm -hmm. The simplicity of Jesus Loves Me, this I know for Mm -hmm. the Bible tells me Mm -hmm. so. That's what he used, I think, to get a foundational layer and used mom's faith in order to grow his own faith, even if he did it vicariously or in a secondary manner, but gained enough security in that to then be able to give father love to others, though he hadn't gotten it. And not just us. Yeah. Naturally, he would always look for our friends Mm -hmm. who didn't have fathers, and I'd see a little extra generosity. Mm -hmm. Hey, aren't we going to go pick up so-and-so? I'm like, well, they didn't even ask me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He he just looked out for those who had similar scenarios, especially if they were poor and gone through poverty like he had. And I think he naturally, without as much intentionality as you and I do in our mentoring, naturally gravitated to those students who needed it. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh man, they need my strength from it. They need my encouragement. They need my empowerment. And then he would just speak words of exhortation into them Mm -hmm. with that kind of dramatic, charismatic flair Mm -hmm. that would just punctuate them. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when we're out in restaurants and things, I see people come up to them and they were like gravitating to, oh, thank you, Professor Anderson or Dr. Anderson for how much you meant to me and taught me and challenged me. And I knew dad didn't even necessarily know their name. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wasn't built like I am with that wiring for the emotional relational connection, but he would receive it still. I think recognizing I was able to give them something beyond the classroom, beyond Mozart, beyond all the other things he was doing musically in the presence and in the strength and in giving what he hadn't gotten, but he found it from the Lord and, and passed it on. Amen. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thanks again, Elliot. It was fun. We wanted to keep this episode focused on father wounds and how they impact us in our relationships. But Elliot and I went into more depth about our father and our family and how that influences us today, personally and professionally. If this interests you at all, sit tight. There's a bonus episode I'll be rolling out this week to share that information or pick up Elliot's book, Simon Says, Principles and Perspectives from Dr. Simon V. Anderson. If you have a question for Elliot or would like to work with him, email me at karen at loveandlifemedia.com and I'll put you in contact with Elliot. The love and life hack for this week is we can heal our father wound. I hope this conversation has given you some encouragement. If you didn't have that strong father presence in your life growing up, you can in your next family have healing, health, and wholeness. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Be sure to join the Love and Life community by heading over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com. Click on the subscribe tab to get my newsletters. I'd love to have you be part of the Love and Life family. If you have 30 seconds, I would so appreciate it if you could go over to Apple Podcasts, give Love and Life a five-star rating and just a couple sentences of review that helps others find us and join the Love and Life community. Thanks again for joining us this week and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.